So we are in the middle of uh, looking at the life of Jesus by Dr. Luke, which is um, one of four writers, and we see in the New Testament that wrote these beautiful books about the life of Jesus. And so we're taking a look at the life of Jesus, who he is as a person, um, and looking at the theology and all of that, and we are um, in the middle of that series. Last week, Mallory talked about uh, chapter 10, the first part of that chapter, the first 24 verses, and she shared with us a couple of things that stuck out with me. One was, again, um, reminding us about the challenge to pray uh, chapter 10, verse 2 on a, on a regular basis. You know, for her, she said that she um, typed in a reminder at 10.02, you know, verse, chapter 10, verse 2, 10.02, a good little picture there, to pray for, right, for what? For more people who will make disciples. Um, and so that's what Jesus is asking us to do. So that's what we're to do. And then the second thing she reminded us of was that um, we are to be disciples who make disciples, but we are to understand that we are not the component that produces change. God does. They make that decision. All we're asked to do is to be that conduit. God uses us to be that conduit for, for change. And so we're asked to be obedient. And so that's kind of where um, we are up until this point today. So today, um, we're going to look at um, the rest of that chapter. We're not going to go into chapter 11 yet. We're going to look at the rest of the chapter. There's some really good stuff in chapter 10. Before, the, before we do that, I want to, to um, remind us that this statement is going to come back and play again today. So just let's just say it together. Can we do that? So one, two, three. Okay, so just keep that in your back pocket. We're going to come back to that. How many of you know this story here? Just by the picture alone, do you know what this story? Dr. Seuss. Zacks. The Zacks, right? Okay, I used this story in, in Alex and Mallory's wedding, and you can ask them about that. Um, but uh, I'm just going to read it to you this morning, all right? Are you good with that? A little story time? Sunday morning church story time. Too bad when I have a roaring fire and I can sit down, but here we go. One day, making tracks. In the prairie of Prax came a north-going Zax and a south-going Zax. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped. And there they stood, foot to foot and face to face. Look here now, the north-going Zax said. I say... You are blocking my path. You are right in my way. I'm a north-going Zax, and I always go north. Get out of my way now, and let me go forth. Who's in whose way, snapped the south-going Zax. I always go south, making south-going tracks. So you're in my way, and I ask you to move, and let me go south in my south-going groove. Then the north-going Zax puffed up his chest up with pride. I never, he said, take a step to one side. And I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways if I have to keep standing here 59 days. And I'll prove to you, yelled the south-going Zax, that I can stand here in the prairie of Prax for 59 years. For I live by a rule. 
that I learned as a boy back in South Going School. Never budge. That's my rule. Never budge in the least. Not an inch to the west and not an inch to the east. I'll stay here not budging. I can and I will. And if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course the world didn't stand still. The world grew in a couple of years. The new highway came through. And they built it right over these two stubborn zacks and left them there standing unbudged in their tracks. I mean, Dr. Seuss was a master storyteller, wasn't he? He was very, very clever in what he wrote. He wrote it in such a way where children, he didn't write it, I mean, like, um, okay, I'm just going to look down on you when I'm writing. They were able to understand and, and enjoy the story. But yet, if you really look at a lot of his stories, there's some incredible and profound truth and some very serious wisdom there, right? And just in this particular story, um, themes of pride, themes of stubbornness, and themes of if we take that course of action, what are the results going to be? And, and not only that, but it's just this theme of, hey, we can do something, but that world is just going to keep moving along, isn't it? We're only 35 once. That's just that idea, right? So Jesus was a pretty good storyteller, too. In fact, he was the master of masters. And we're going to look at one of them this morning in chapter 10, from 25 all the way through verse 42, the end of the chapter. And we're really going to look at two stories. But it's this first story that... Um, if we're not careful, and maybe you've heard of it, right? The Good Samaritan. How many of you heard that story, The Good Samaritan? Hopefully a lot of you have. <laughs> it's probably one of his, if not the most famous of Jesus' um, parables, his stories. We have uh, hospitals that are named after that story. And there's songs and books and such, and there's a lot written about the Good Samaritan. You probably have heard a sermon or two sermon or two preached on this. And all I'm asking you this morning is this, is, is to not, um, um, before you check out, to, to not become a north or south sax-going person and say, I've heard this before, and tune out with a zeal, and here's my rhyming abilities. Rather, keep an open mind and let's see what will happen. Deal? <laughs> so let's turn to our Bibles. Now I'm going to keep rhyming all the way through. Let's turn to our Bibles in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 42. And I'm going to read it from the NIV version. And so hopefully you can follow along as best you can. And we're just going to read those verses. And then we're going to talk about it. On one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus another question. And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus told a story. And he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite. When he came to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Then Jesus, I think, takes a breath. He looks up. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and this will not be taken away from her. So here we have two stories at the end of chapter 10 that, that we're going to begin to understand a little bit more of what it's like to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ. And, and this is just that first part. Next week, we're going to look at that first part of chapter 11, which gives us that third component of uh, what it means to be a disciple in, in relation to the relationships that we have around us. So we're going to look at these first two this morning. So going back to that Good Samaritan story, we have this expert of the law, and he stands up and he asks Jesus a question, and, and it's just understood, right, by what we see in the first part and what we read later on, that his intentions were, at best, not very good. And as Jesus usually does when he's responding, he asks a question instead of directly responding to the question, and this is what he, right, he asks him, um, what does the law say? And so the lawyer, right, He's probably feeling pretty good about this, and he says, well, I've got this. And so he stands up and he quotes Deuteronomy 6.5 and, and Leviticus 19.18, talking about loving the Lord your God, right, with, with all, those, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, great, yay, that's correct. 
And then he adds, do this and you will live. Now the lawyer, doing what lawyers do, the type of stuff that they do, you know, he was, I think he understood that this was an impossible task and he was looking for any kind of loophole in this whole thing of what it means to be this neighbor. And so he asked this question, and so who is my neighbor? Thinking that, that Jesus is going to give the answer that he's hoping that he'll give and that he'll be justified um, in his thought process and in his life. Instead, Jesus tells a story. And we're introduced to the setting. It's this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, about 17 miles. And it's going to or Jericho to Jerusalem, and it's going to um, the temple, right? It's a well-traveled road. The priests would travel. The Levites would travel. A lot of people would travel. It's very busy. But it's also one of those roads where it was very dangerous. There would be people that would hide and, and attack you. And so the, the context, the setting, the crowd would know this very well. They would know what Jesus was talking about. We're introduced to a man. We don't necessarily know who this man is. It gives him no name, but was more than likely a Jew. And he was robbed, he was beaten, he was stripped of his clothes, and he was left lying there on the side of the road half dead. We see a priest come along thinking that, oh, this person will help. But no, he doesn't. And then the Levite does the same thing. At this point, the story is probably going, eh, okay, all right, this feels normal. And then Jesus introduces in the story, um, and he says the word Samaritan, which probably would have been given an audible gasp with those that were listening because the Samaritans were a group of people that the Jews did not like very much. They despised them. They called, called them um, heathen dogs. They were, um, their religion was not pure. There was the Jews, the Israelites, and there was the Samaritans. And so Jesus introduces the Samaritan, and they're probably thinking, well, what is he doing in the story? Surely he's going to just pass by, and the twist happens, and the Samaritan is the one who looks over and immediately takes pity on the man, gets off his donkey, and goes over, and, or if he was walking, goes over and bandages him up and takes care of his wounds, puts him on the donkey, and takes him to the inn. Not only that, but he takes care of him, so he's interrupting his schedule. He pays money for the inn, the innkeeper, to keep him there, and, um, and then the story ends. And then Jesus goes to um, the man, to the, to the lawyer, um, asking the question. And, and it's interesting that, that he doesn't really, he doesn't um, answer the question, who is my neighbor? Instead, he twists it. It's this great reversal, as Tim Keller would say. And he instead goes, well, who was the neighbor? He forces the lawyer, he forces to the lawyer to identify with the man on the side of the road. And it'd be easier if it was something different, if, if the man on the side of the road was a Samaritan rather than him or a Jew. 
And they, he despised the Samaritans so much that he couldn't even mention his name. And so all he said was the very obvious answer, well, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus very simply said, well, then go and do likewise. No big deal. Go and do likewise. And I imagine when Jesus is sharing that story, and you know, if he was doing it today, and he was this type of a person, he would have that mic, right? And then he would just drop the mic and then walk off. It's one of those mic drop moments to me. Or it's probably one of those scenarios where you have a whole bunch of people around, and Jesus is saying that, and he makes this, well, go and do likewise. And there's people around him going, ooh, oh, you know, the Lord just got owned or whatever it was. I can't do that. But <laughs> you know what it is. I got white hair. It doesn't matter. But you know what I'm talking about, right? That's just kind of what I envision this moment to be like. And so in this story, um, we have uh, what Jesus is trying to get across to us is that there's this basic mercy and love that we're to extend to everyone around us. That the real issue is not whom we should serve, but that we serve. That one should be a neighbor by, by showing compassion to everyone in need. And so the real issue is not to define who my neighbor is or to seek to do the minimum one can do. It's simply a call to be a neighbor. And that's what this first part is in your, in your outline. The real issue is not to ask, right? It's not to ask who my neighbor is, but to be a neighbor with whoever God puts across my path. We go on. And Dr. Luke tells us about a time a little bit later when Jesus hung out at Martha and Mary's house. And they're going to enjoy a meal together. And I imagine that maybe Mary and Martha started out by listening to Jesus and what he's saying. And then it began to get that time again. And, and Martha went and began to get uh, the preparations for the meal and that kind of thing. And it was just busy going around. And Martha, or Mary stayed and was listening to Jesus. And, I mean... Um, Mallory talked about last week a little bit, but you can imagine what is happening there, this tension. The tension begins to rise, can't you? I mean, you feel it in your own household, if you're a firstborn or a secondborn or a thirdborn or fourth or fifth or seventh or eighth, whatever it is, right? You feel that tension, and it doesn't have to be in your family. It can be wherever. You know, usually there's someone that's doing this or whatever it is in your life. You feel this tension of, I'm doing this, and someone is just sitting there, and it feels like Mary is lazy, and it feels like um, Martha is the one that's doing, is really being the good Samaritan in this case. Mary, as one pastor said, feels like the bad Samaritan, that she's just being, just there and not doing. And so really we see the point of this part, I believe, is this right here, is that Jesus tells Martha in a very tender, tender way, and Martha, you're, you're, you're so concerned about other things. And I want you to know that your sister has chosen the better, and that is me. 
And it's really, it's not about the two women, because it's, it's about all of us. All of us do this. All of us do this. And what he's saying to us here is that Mary chose the better, and that's what we need to do. It's, it's this, really this lesson about reprioritizing our life once we come to know Christ as our Savior. It's about reprioritizing our life, no matter what it is, that the very first thing that we should be about is just sitting and being with Jesus. Deuteronomy 8.3 talks about that man does not live by bread alone, but also on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And so that's our very sustenance. That's what we want to chew on. It's what we want to eat on his words, the Bible, who he is, sit underneath or be with him, to choose him over everything else in our world. And really, that's a key element. This is key in our life as a discipler, as a disciple person, as a learner of who Christ is. This is key. This is something that we need to work on, need to get better at in our life. To choose what is better, and that is Jesus. But if we look at these two stories, and we go, all right, we just got done hearing about the Good Samaritan. And at the end of that, um, Jesus says one thing. Now we just got done hearing the story about Martha and Mary. And if we look at that, it doesn't seem like they both match up a little bit. And the first one were said, do, right, go and do likewise. And the second one were, 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 were told to, to go and to be and to sit with Jesus. And it doesn't seem like they go together. I mean, we've all been in, in, in sermons and, and listened to different people talk about this. And in essence, we've left with this, um, as some people like to call it, these drive-by guiltings where I'm just going to guilt you into doing this, that we need to try harder, right, to be a good Samaritan. That I want you to give, like, go and pick out 30 people this week or next this whole month and I want you to do, to do something and, and write it down and keep track of that right and then we just go and we go all right I'm going to try harder I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to I'm going to do this I'm going to be the good Samaritan and if and if and if trying hard to be the good Samaritan was the answer or was the antidote to to a hurting and broken world then it would have worked by now as one pastor noted And so what is it? Is it to go and make a difference to serve or is it to go and just be with Jesus? I mean, you're, if you're looking at this, you're going, well, what are we supposed to do? Which one is it? I mean, why has Dr. Look put these two stories together? I mean, if, if we're looking at it, the lawyer probably should have responded to Jesus and said, but wait a minute, that is impossible to do. And he would go, yeah, I know. 
it absolutely is impossible to do. And, and it's important for us to remember that this lawyer, this teacher of the law, would come from a group of people who, were, who prided themselves on how carefully they obeyed God, how carefully they said his name. I mean, they would, um, they would take a ritual bath to ensure purity before even writing God's name. I mean, that's just the nature, the innate nature of who they were, the letter of the law that they were following. And they wanted to observe this law in every detail. And if you remember, the lawyer was asking what, what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And in effect, Jesus was saying, really what needs to happen is, I mean, you have to do the impossible. Your love needs to, for others needs to extend far beyond what you as a human are capable of doing. And so what if there's another way to look at this story, the Good Samaritan? I mean, we know what the main point of the story is about, to go and to do likewise. Is that we're not to ask who our neighbor is, we're to be a neighbor to whoever that God puts in front of us. And so that's the main point of the story. But what if there's another layer? What if there's another layer to the story where um, that we look at the Good Samaritan and we go, you know, really who is the Good Samaritan here? I mean, what if Jesus is the Good Samaritan? I mean, what if, you see, Jesus forced the lawyer to identify with the man lying on the road. I mean, what if you and I are that man, that person who has been stripped and robbed and, and beaten and lying half dead in our sin on the side of the road? And he's saying that there's nothing that you can do to make yourself better. There's no amount of religion. There's no amount of obeying the law, priest and the Levite. It's not going to help you. Only I, the good Samaritan, the one who's been outcast, the one who's been treated wrongly, is the one who looks at you and goes, I am taking pity on you. I love you. And so I'm going to do everything and even more than that to go to you and save you. In essence, he says to the Lord, if you can save yourself, go at it. Go do it. But if you can't, you need a Savior. In John 13, 34, and 35, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then verse 35 says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, look at that new command. Look at that command where it says, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. It's repetitive, but there's something very powerful in there when he says, as I have loved you. That's where the power is in this statement. It's not that you're loving one another. It's because you have loved, that just as I have loved you, you are to love. There's the power. The power comes from Jesus. And when we access that power, then what he's beginning to say is that 
then by this, then by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. You see, it's easy, I believe, or maybe not, to love the people that, that we kind of like. It's hard to do what the Good Samaritan did all the time. We may be able to do it for a day or a week or even for a month, but it's hard to do as a lifestyle, as an everyday part of who we are. And Jesus has said, I have come down, I have become a man, I have been obedient to my heavenly Father, even when you are my enemy and I have submitted my will to his <coughs> and I am going to the cross and I'm going to be humiliated and beaten and scourged and, and, and I'm going to die for you. And then I'm going to conquer death and I'm going to rise. And when you say yes to me, and when you say yes to me, then you're mine. And I've taken on your sin and paid that penalty. And now my righteousness is credited to you. And God's wrath, there's no more condemnation, Romans 8, 1 says. And we get this whole new life. I don't, I, mean, I know we hear this a lot. I don't, I love telling this part because it's just so radical. It's such a radical thing that we get this new life, this new life by the Spirit, and we're saved to have fellowship with God, our Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and we're, to, we're saved to have fellowship with other people, our brothers and sisters. And we've been given this right standing before God so we can have this freedom to live, even though we still battle with sin in our life. But we're propelled to love God. And we're propelled to love others because of the power of the Spirit in our life and because of what we know to be true of where we were sitting on the side of the road, dead in our sin. And the Good Samaritan came and loved you and loved me and said, here I am. This is why we talk about how we must be fluent in the gospel. We must be absolutely fluent in how much Jesus loves you and how much Jesus loves me. I mean, we must know it inside and out, so much so that it just becomes a part of who we are and we're not even really aware of what's going on in us because we're so immersed with it. And I want you to know that, that I absolutely believe that this Good Samaritan lifestyle is, is very much possible. But it requires the second part of the story to play into it. It requires spending time with Jesus. It's like being a fish in water. Think about it. I'm going to draw. I'm not very good. So hopefully this will work. It's a tank. 
That's water. Okay. We all there? It's a table. I shouldn't have done that. I'm going to draw a fish. Right? It's got his little fins. It's going over here, coming back here, there. And then he kind of goes like this, and then he goes like this, and he goes like that. And then he's got his little dorsal thing there. And, right? we got to put a smile on him. There we go. All right, so there's the fish. He needs, an, he needs an eyeball. All right, so there's you. I've got to draw little waves in here, too, so just so we know more. All right, so this is, what, this is how my warped mind thinks. But when I'm thinking of that Jesus is telling Mary and telling Martha that I want you to spend time with me, I want you to prioritize my life in me, it's, it's like being a fish in water where um, you, you live your life, and, and please don't take this analogy too far because some people have done that to me in the past, and it, it just, that's okay. I, I'm just, this, this, this part is all I'm concerned about is that when this fish is in water, they, they don't necessarily know that they're in water, right? They just think that this is life. This is, what, this is where I'm supposed to be. They don't... Like if there's another fish coming by and goes, hey, the water's warm today, and the other fish goes, what's water? I mean, that's just what it's like, right? We just know that it's there. And we don't, we're not really aware of our surroundings in the sense that we're in water. Now, if you were to take the fish out of water, I mean, what would happen? They would be gasping for breath, and they'd be flopping around. This is what fish do, right? Until they're put back into the water. And this is what I feel like it's like when we accept Christ as our Savior, and we say yes to him, and we're that son, and we're that daughter, and we're meant to be here. We're meant to be in this tank of loving Jesus, immersing ourselves. It's not like you just tip, dip a fin in the water and go, oh, that's good, and then you go out and you keep flopping around the rest of your life. That's not what it's like, right? When you're meant to be is to immerse in this life called Jesus and God. So much so that when you keep doing this, like... Start for a day, and then it becomes a week, and then it becomes a month, and it becomes six months, and it becomes a year, and then pretty soon it's five years, and pretty soon it's 25 years, and, and if there's an event that something that happens at 25 years, and somebody says, excuse me, why did you do that? And you go, why did I do what? And they say, well, how did you, why did you serve that person, or why did you give that money, or why did you do that? And you go, well, and then you stop and think and go, yeah, why did I do that? And it's because... You have immersed yourself in Jesus and you are not, you become like him. And that's just what you do. It's just a second nature. That's just who you are. And you don't even have to think about it because that just becomes what you do. And then the next part is to love the one in front of you. I know that seems weird, but let me just explain. When we, when we do that, when we immerse ourselves in Jesus, then, then we're able to then do the whole Good Samaritan thing, to be a neighbor to someone. And what he's saying is just to 
to be with it, whoever is around you. And it's easy, right? It's easy for us to think about being a good Samaritan when it, when it, when it sits in that idealized, romantic, or abstract concept. But when it becomes concrete, when it becomes there's some kind of need or there's some kind of person that I don't really like or we just don't mesh or they smell or whatever it might be that doesn't fit in our world, when that concrete reality hits, then we go, well, can I really be a good Samaritan? It's not who I'd have chosen to be the good Samaritan towards. And what Jesus is telling you and I is that when you immerse yourself in me, when you are being with me and sitting with me, my loves, my likes, my desires, my attributes will become yours. That gap will be shortened. And I will begin to, or you will begin to become like me, which means that that good Samaritan, you will find yourself doing that more and more and more and more. And all I'm asking here, it's a good way to remember that, is to love the one that God puts in front of you. Let me just add that part. I believe that he does that all the time. We're just not aware of it. It might be your spouse. It might be your children or extended family. It could be someone who has a flat tire on the side of the road. Or it could be many other myriads of things that come into your world. And it might be something very simple as a little bit. Or it might be something that's extended. And this is not guilt. This is just saying, right, when you immerse yourself, you have that quality and tenderness that Jesus has and you find yourself just saying this is what I got to do this is who I am I'm just going to love you and I'm just going to be obedient see the distinguishing mark of church is not this utopic community or society, the distinguishing mark of a church, and you know what I'm going to say, is this. It's how we love one another. I mean, I, I, I feel strongly, so strong about this. And we're not going to do it perfectly. But this is what FLC needs to be identified with. Not worship, not teaching, not kids' life, all good things. Not the events that we do, all good things. This has to be, needs to be, should be what identifies us that when people come into our church body and God brings them to us or we're whatever it is that they will say, man, they loved me. All of my faults, all of my weirdness, they loved me. And so it's go and be, go and do.
Let's go back to that. Um, that uh, story from Dr. Seuss. I wrote a different ending. And if you just indulge me with that, okay? Please don't laugh. Well, of course, the world didn't stand still. The world grew. In a couple of years, the new highway came through. And they built it right over where those two once stood irate. What happened, you ask, you contemplate. Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, they were changed from the inside out. It was the gospel that made them turn about. From that point forward, the two walked a different road. With Jesus, their anchor, savior, tutor, wonder, really their area code. I thought that was clever. They talked, cried, laughed, and grew. All the while asking, how can I help you? Go and do. Go and be, my friends. The end. That is us. And we're going to sing this morning. You stand, please. And, and I don't know where... Um, <clears throat> you know what? Sorry, guys. You guys are each going to get a goldfish, <laughs> a goldfish packet, and you don't have to eat these. I prefer you didn't. I would just keep them as a reminder to be like a fish in water and to love the one in front of you, okay? You can eat them if you want. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But just use this as a reminder, right? Okay. Let's worship.